This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Today I want to talk about false teachers. They abound in the world today, and we are warned that we should expect them, that we should expect them not only from without, but from within our own circles. The first thing I want to do today is look at some scriptures that tell us what we should expect. Then I want to look at a few of the damnable heresies that are common today. Now, some of these damnable heresies, you may not see them as such initially, but just listen through to the end, and I think you'll understand why I say they're damnable heresies. The first passage of scripture I want to look at is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Folks, we should expect false teachers among us. We should expect them to be there because Jesus himself warned us that they would be there, and uh, the apostles warned us in their writings, this passage of scripture being an example of that, These false teachers bring in damnable heresies. These are not just minor little things. Sometimes they may seem minor on the surface, but when we look at their effect and and see what they can do, we should understand that they are damnable. That means that they uh, condemn, they're destructive. They can cause people to spend an eternity in hell. We need to be aware and alert for these types of things. Fortunately, we know that those who bring them in are going to suffer swift destruction, as it says in this verse, but they can do a lot of damage before that destruction comes if we're not alert. Now, pastors, we need especially to be in a position where we we know these things, we see these things, and we're warning our people against them. It really is sad thing that so many preachers today just want to be positive. Folks, we must be negative. We must show what's going on out there. We must tell the others and warn people what's going on that they might be protected from them. If we don't, we're just as guilty as the false teachers. The second passage I want to look at is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. In the last days we can expect a falling away, but what does that mean? In order to fall away from the truth, you must first know the truth. Now that doesn't mean you have to accept the truth. That doesn't necessarily mean that you are are saved, but it means that you will know the truth and you will know that it is the truth. There are many people who know the truth of the gospel, but who refuse to accept it for whatever the reason may be. It may be the love of their sin. It may be the fact that they just don't want anybody telling them what to do, whatever it may be. But this is a departure from that faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Now, the faith, whenever you see it that way in scriptures, the faith is the system of doctrine that we find in scripture. It's all of those principles and precepts that we as as Christians should both believe and teach. It's what the Bible tells us, and it's the whole body of doctrine. And there will be those who will fall away from that and will try and teach others to uh, fall away with them or to bring them along with them. 
What is really sad today is that there are so many Christians who don't have enough knowledge of the scriptures to know what the faith is, and they can't tell when somebody is trying to draw them away from it. The next scripture I want to look at is Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. It says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Paul knew that as soon as he was off the scene, there would be those who would come in and try and attack the flock and destroy it. These are wolves. Now, wolves are those that come from without. They're those that come in, sneak into the flock, and try and destroy the flock from within. Wolves only care about satisfying their own lusts. They only care about getting what they want. A wolf doesn't care about the feelings of the sheep that it destroys. It doesn't care if it has a lamb that needs it or that the lamb has parents that love it. It doesn't care about that. And it's the same when they come into the church. They don't care about what happens in the church. All they care about is that they get what they want. It may be power, prestige. It may be the destruction of the church because they don't like Christianity. It could be almost anything. But these wolves are dangerous and they will disguise themselves as sheep when they come into the flock. But it also says in these two verses that of your own selves shall men arise. This means that there will be those who rise up from within, those who who look like uh, they're part of us and who may have been part of us as as far as human uh, kind can tell, but they are from within. We need to be watching both without and within. The next passage I want to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. This passage tells us, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. We know that the apostles of Christ ended with the death of the apostle John, but there are still those who claim to be Christ's apostles to this day. There are false teachers that are trying to transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. This shouldn't be a surprise to us at all because Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. If we just go back to Genesis chapter 3 and see how Satan operated in those days, we see that he came along saying that he knew something that God was trying to keep from us and that he was the good guy and God was the bad guy. That's the way he still works today. He wants us to believe that God is trying to keep something from us, that God is is uh, not right, that he's right, and he tries to make himself look like an angel of light, like one who's bringing new knowledge to us. Folks, God is God, and Satan is Satan. Let's not forget that. God is 100% good. Satan is 100% evil. We need to remember that he is out there and that his desire and his goal is to destroy the people of God and keep the lost people from coming to Christ. To do so, he has to make himself look like something that is good. You would never expect somebody to lead you wrong if they told you that it was wrong and that it was going to cause you damage, would you? Satan is not going to do that either. 
Satan's ministers will disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. They will come along and say, hey, listen, I found this that people have missed. Folks, do you really believe that the Christians down through the centuries have missed things when they had nothing to do but study the scriptures, when they uh, didn't have television and radio and fun sports and all this kind of stuff all over the place to cause them to uh, do other things and, and to draw them away from the study of the scriptures. Do you really believe that they've missed things? I mean, I know this goes back a ways, but isn't that what Joseph Smith said? He said, I found something that everybody else has missed. We can even go back to the founding of Islam with Muhammad coming along and saying, you know, you've lost it. The Christians have taken the scriptures and distorted what they say and made it something else. And God has called me to restore what was lost over the years. This is what we're being told in a lot of ways today, and they're disguising themselves as ministers of righteousness. Now, those of us who are truly saved and who know the scriptures, that's important, who know the scriptures, should not be fooled by these false teachers as they come in. The sad thing is, is people don't know the scriptures like they used to. I read a lot of old writings written by Christians in, of centuries past, and I'm I'm appalled at how little so many of our seminary graduates know today compared with what the average Christian knew uh, 150, 200 years ago. It's appalling. Folks, we need to get back to the scriptures. We need to understand what the scriptures say. We need to know the scriptures so well that nobody can fool us. The sad thing is, is today most Christians can't do that. Folks, we need to understand that those who choose to follow Satan in this life will follow him in death. The end of the ministers of Satan will be according to their works, and we can count on that. Now, we not only need to know what the scriptures say so we can avoid it, we also need to know what the scriptures say so that we can keep others from being led away in the false teachings that are out there today, and uh, even to convert those ministers of Satan into ministers of Christ like they should be, bring them to the scriptures, help them to understand their way that they might be uh, corrected and things may go well for them and they may be able to be saved and go uh, to an eternity with Christ also. This next verse that I want to look at is rather interesting. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. It says, For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Now, folks, isn't it interesting? It says, For there must also be heresies among you. That means that God is ordained to allow them to be among us. This must happen so that we can understand who is really approved of God. It must happen so that we can have a comparison, something to judge by. When we look at somebody, we can compare them with uh, the truth, and we'll know who are God's ministers and who are Satan ministers. Folks, this is not a new thing. It started in the first century, and it's increasing as we come nearer to the return of Christ. I think as we look at the world today, it's pretty easy to see that Christ's return really can't be very far off in the future. We look at what's going on. We see uh, the way that the whole world is turned against God. We see Islam is rising up and and surrounding Israel against Israel. We see Israel in the land. Uh, We see uh, all kinds of things that seem to indicate we're getting near Christ's return. In the first century, 
the Christians didn't have all the advantages that we do today. Folks, they couldn't go down to the local bookstore and buy a Bible and sit at home and study it every day. They had to take what they got in church and make it really part of them while they were in church, while the preacher was preaching, and then go home and meditate on it over and over again. Yet they still were able to turn the world upside down without a completed Bible, without missions boards. And I've talked about this before. Let me get off of that hobby horse and get back onto the main subject. Today, we're without excuse when we allow these heresies in because we have the Bible. Now, I'm going to look at a problem that we have with the multitude of Bible versions in just a moment, but we're still without excuse because we do have the Bible to tell us what's right and what's wrong. Now I want to change gears a little bit and look at some of the damnable heresies of our day. As I look at these heresies, I'm sure you won't think some of them are all that bad, but just listen through to the end. I think you'll understand why I say they're damnable heresies. The first heresy I want to look at is the heresy of the name it and claim it, prosperity gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible is very clear. It is not God's will that all Christians should be rich and healthy. This is a lie of the devil. It's a, a lie that causes people to actually try Christ because they're going through a problem, not because they realize they're sinners and they've repented of their sin, but they make a profession of faith because they think if they do, all of their problems are going to go away. Folks, this leads people to a false profession, a profession that is selfish and is there because they want to be rich and healthy. They don't want to have their financial problems, their health problems anymore. And they think if they just say, oh, I believe in Jesus, everything's going to be fine. That's what people like Joel Osteen and so many others with their humongous followings are teaching. And folks, it's a damnable heresy. God uses the trials of Christians to bring glory to himself. If you look back in the days when Christians were tossed to the wild animals in the arenas, you will see that uh, historically people were being converted because they saw the suffering of these Christians and the attitude they had in uh, their suffering. They said, that's the kind of faith I want. That's what I want. And people were being converted. That's why they quit doing it, not because the Romans all of a sudden got uh, really friendly and nice and decided they liked Christians after all. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the fact that in the testimony that the Christians had in their trials, people were being converted. That's the same way it is today. When Christians... Uh, suffer and still are faithful to God and still have a peace and a joy, lost people are drawn to that because they say, when I go through the same things, I don't have that same thing and I want what they have and people become willing to listen. If we're honest with uh, prospective converts and if we tell them that uh, uh, things like this verse are going to happen, uh, How do you think they would respond to our invitation if all they're after is getting some peace and some some, uh, relief from the problems that they're going through? Folks, we need to be honest with our people and tell them the truth. They need to understand that their problems will not all go away when they get saved. As a matter of fact, they will probably have a few new ones that they didn't have before. 
There is, however, the advantage that as we go through the trials, Christ will go through them with us and he will bring us comfort in them. This we can emphasize to those that we're trying to bring to Christ. But we must also be sure that we don't lead them to the false conclusion that everything is going to go well just because they got saved. Now the next heresy I want to look at is the heresy of easy believism. You can see that this goes along very well with what I just said. There are two types of easy believism out there. One of them is that all you have to do is say, I love Jesus and pray a simple little prayer and then you're guaranteed of going to heaven. That's a false doctrine and needs to be countered. There's another one out there that says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And although God does love people, that's not what the Bible uses to motivate people to come to Christ. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I want you to notice here that the preaching that they had just heard didn't cause them to say, Oh, wow, God loves me. Isn't that neat? What it caused was their hearts to be pricked. They were pricked in their hearts. They knew something was wrong. They knew they were in danger. They knew something that had to be done in order to solve this problem. This is what we need to do today as we preach the gospel. Nowhere in the Bible does God use his love as a motivation to draw us to Christ. He always uses his wrath as a warning, and uh, his purpose is to drive us not to Christ, but to repentance so that we can turn to Christ with a pure heart. There must be conviction of sin. There must be repentant hearts if we're going to receive Christ as we should be receiving Christ, if our salvation is going to be real, if it's going to mean anything at all. If you study the scriptures, you will see that The sin is always emphasized in the presentation of the gospel. They never use, as I said before, God's love. They use God's wrath. The gospel is only good news to those people who understand the bad news. Until someone understands that they're in trouble with Christ and with God and that they stand condemned before him, the gospel is not good news. It's foolishness to them. If I'm okay, if I can earn my way to salvation, then what do I need Christ's death for? I'll just be as good a person as I know how to be and I'll make it to heaven. The third heresy that's so common today is the heresy of it's what's on the inside that counts. Matthew chapter 7 verses 16 through 20 says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. This is a very important passage of scripture when it comes to this. It's what's on the inside that counts and not what's on the outside. The outside does count. A tree needs to have good fruit on the outside. You know, the Bible is very clear that salvation changes a person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if we're in Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
there's a real change in the lives of those who are truly born again. It's not something that's just superficial, and it's not something that just lasts for a while. It is something that is permanent. It is a permanent change. The whole person from the inside out has been changed, and it will show on the outside. A person who is truly born again, who has God's Spirit living within him, will reflect that on the outside. It will be seen on the outside. Those who believe that they can dress like the world and act like the world and go the places the world goes and and just do everything that the world does don't have the Holy Spirit inside telling them um, that they are to dress and act and go places that bring glory to God. If they do have the Holy Spirit telling them that, then they are resisting it and they're shutting him down, and that means there would be some sort of a struggle. But if they can just go along and say, well, you know, God doesn't care what I do on the outside as long as I'm uh, a new person on the inside. If you're a new person on the inside, you'll be a new person on the outside too. Those that are lost are drawn to Christ by our being different, not by our being the same. Do you think that a drunk is going to get help from another drunk in solving his problem with drunkenness? Of course not. He's not going to go to a drunk because he says the drunk's got the same problem I have. He doesn't know how to solve it. Well, the same is true when it comes to the lost. They're going to want to see somebody who's different, something that has something they don't have. The next heresy is that music doesn't matter. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, folks, uh, psalms are songs that are given to us in scriptures. We have a Bible songbook. It's called called the book of psalms. And that's what singing of psalms is. It's actually singing scripture. It's singing the actual word of God. It's putting it to rhythm. And that helps us to memorize it, to remember it, and to learn what it says. Hymns are songs of praise and worship to God. They're songs that are designed to lift him up, not to make us feel good. They may do that, but that's not their purpose. Their purpose is to lift God up and praise God and thank him for his wonderful works and all the things that he's done for us, this type of thing. It's their songs that really praise God. Spiritual songs are songs that appeal to the spirit, not to the flesh. So-called modern Christian music, contemporary Christian music, is designed to appeal to the flesh. It's designed to make us feel good. It's designed to make us get up and dance around and wiggle all over the place and things like this. That's not spiritual uh, music. Spiritual music is calming. It works in the heart. It causes things to happen in the heart, not in the flesh. So we need to understand the difference. Something that I think you need to notice here in this verse, it says singing and making melody. Folks, the melody is the main part of music. If you don't have the melody in the music, you really don't have music at all. Music that emphasizes anything other than the melody appeals to the flesh and not to the spirit. And we need to be careful to stay away from that kind of music. The the flesh is what's going to make us move and wiggle. Now, I'm not talking about if there's a song going on and your foot's tapping. I'm not talking about that. But if it's exciting the flesh, it's not spiritual music. It matters what kind of music we listen to. It will affect our relationship with God, believe it or not. But uh, I don't have time to get into the details that I wish I did on this issue of, of music. Maybe we can do that in another broadcast sometime down the road. The fifth heresy, and the last one that I want to talk about, is the heresy that the modern Bible versions don't really change anything. 
In 2 Corinthians 2.17, it says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Folks, now this word corrupt in here is changed in most of the modern Bible versions to uh, peddle. This is a, a word that is used when the wine sellers would corrupt the wine by adding water to it so they would have more wine to sell. Now the translators of the King James Bible in the margins said this could also be uh, be translated to deal deceitfully with. He's saying we don't deal deceitfully with the word of God. We don't try and trick you with the word of God. We're straightforward, honest. We don't corrupt it. I often say, and you, if you've listened to me very much, you've heard it before, things that are different are not the same. Now, it's a lie when they tell us that the modern translations just say the same thing, but they say it in a different way, a way that's more clear to our modern way of thinking. That is not true. False teachers are telling us that there are no changes, but let me ask you a question. Is there a difference between saying that we are saved or that we are being saved? Most of the modern versions say we're being saved. That makes it a process. That makes it something that's still in the works and is not yet done, where when the King James says we are saved, it says it's a done deal. Some may not think that the things I have mentioned here are damnable heresies, but let me assure you, they are. They're sending lots of people to hell, and they're causing lots of Christians to miss out on the blessings of God. They're going to have to answer for these things when they stand at the judgment seat of Christ if they're truly saved. The teaching that Christianity is about health and wealth will cause people to come to Christ as a Santa Claus rather than as a Savior. They come to Christ because of what they're going to get from him instead of what um, he has done on the cross to gain forgiveness of their sins. This false teaching will also cause those who uh, make a profession of Christ to be disillusioned when the trials come, and it may make them drop out of church altogether. Easy believism will cause people to try Christ without really repenting of the sins and really putting their trust in Him. Trusting God is not trusting Him to make everything good. It's trusting Him even when we don't understand why He he has allowed the trials in our lives. It's trusting Him when things are not going the way we think they should. It's knowing that He understands what is best. If it requires suffering for God to be glorified, He will allow us to go through suffering, and we trust Him that that's what's best. It's not just trusting him that all of a sudden everything's going to be good. The idea that it is what's on the inside that counts is a half-truth, because it is what's on the inside that's going to make a difference. However, what's on the inside is going to show on the outside. If it doesn't show on the outside, then it's not really on the inside. It is a heresy because it shows a wrong picture of Christianity. It makes people think that we can come to Christ and not change anything in our lives. That's not the way it is. Read your Bible. Does music really matter? The stated purpose of many contemporary music writers is to destroy denominational boundaries. Do you understand that the difference between various denominations is not just a name, it's doctrine? The various denominations all believe different doctrine. This can lead to confusion on the matter of doctrine among those who are tricked into dropping the denominational barriers. They're there because people disagreed with one another and formed the various denominations. 
even the doctrine of salvation is affected by this. There are those that teach that sacraments are required for salvation. There are those who teach that only certain people can be saved. There are those that teach that works are involved in our salvation. Then there are those who believe the true gospel, that is, by grace through faith without works. People are confused today when they hear all the different things that are supposedly done in the name of Christ and said in the name of Christ and taught in the name of Christ. It matters what we believe on various things, and contemporary music is designed for the express purpose of removing the barriers, therefore it is extremely dangerous. The Bible version issue is also extremely important if we're to earnestly contend for the faith. How can we earnestly contend for the faith if we don't believe that we have the faith given to us in its pure form in the scriptures? How can we uh, earnestly contend for the faith when we use whichever Bible version says what we want it to say in any given subject? How can we go look and say, well, I don't like what this version says here, but I like what this one says, so this is what I'm going to use, and on the next thing, it's a different version that we like. How can we have any standard? We cannot earnestly contend for the faith if we have all of these Bible versions running around out there. There are false teachers out there. There are those who are trying to lead us astray. Some are doing it in ignorance. Some are doing it deliberately for personal gain. And we need to be careful. As Christians, we need to know what the Scriptures say. This means we must be like the Bereans and search the Scriptures daily to see if the things we're hearing are true. We need to understand what is right according to the Bible. And the only way we're going to do that is if we know the Bible. The false teachers are there. They can only be stopped by knowing the Scriptures. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.